welcome to the Field Log Podcast, weekly reflections for the Warrior King to help you master yourself, fulfill your purpose, and conquer the day. I'm your host, Marcian Sicario. Field Log Day 83 My Hands for Battle I think most of us are familiar with the sort of stereotypical image of confession. Right? And what most of us imagine in our minds when we hear confession, you know, sacramentally, is the Catholic version of confession, where you have this box called a confessional, and the priest will sit in one, there's a door that opens to one side, he'll sit in there, and the person you're confessing to is called your confessor. And then I guess the confessee, I don't know if there's a word for that, the person giving the confession sits on the other side of that confessional booth, and they're divided by a mesh screen that makes it easy to hear but difficult to make out the face of the person. Orthodox confessions look very different. For an Orthodox confession, you will stand next to your priest. He knows exactly who's giving the confession, right? He sees you. And you're sort of leaning over a cross and a gospel. And when you approach the gospel, you do the sign of the cross. You'll kiss the cross, you kiss the gospel And then the priest says something along the lines of, it's not I who hears your confession, but rather the Lord himself. I'm just an unworthy witness. And that's something very important to remember, is your priest doesn't forgive sins. He prays to God that God will, because of your confession, forgive you your sins. Then you're absolved. Now, this happens in the main church building, right? There is no separate room for this usually, right? During like proper confession times, you know, maybe that's once or twice a week. Everyone will be sitting or standing somewhere in the front of the church, in the the back of the church where the cross and the gospel are, is where the confession takes place. So you can imagine that if no one's saying anything and it's very quiet, people would be able to hear your confession. And that can cause, practically speaking, a lot of issues, right? In the very early days of Christianity, that's how confession was done. It was a public confession. You would stand up in front of the entire congregation and say, hey guys, as I'm sure most of you are aware, because it's a very tight-knit community, I did such and such the other day. Nowadays, practically speaking, we don't do that anymore because it can cause a lot of strife and disharmony. One of the ways we ensure that the sound of the confession is drowned out, first of all, you speak quietly, but there is a person loudly chanting the Psalms as that's happening. And sometimes when you're at confession, one of the readers or maybe the deacon or the priest will ask, just a random person, he'll say, hey, do you mind reading the Psalms while you wait to give your confession? So there's been a a number of times, a couple of times, when I was asked to read and chant the Psalms as people were giving their confessions, and of course, happy to do it. But it's really interesting because most of us don't really spend 30 minutes, an hour, maybe even an hour and a half just reading the Psalms and just chanting the Psalms. So you'll notice a lot of things that you might not have noticed in just your day-to-day reading of the Psalms. And one of the things that I noticed a couple of months ago, as I was giving, or as I was reading the Psalms, waiting to give my confession, was a particular Psalm. And that Psalm is Psalms 143. And it's the very first verse, verse 1. And I've pulled it up, of course, and I'm going to read it as I usually do. And then we're going to talk about that, and you'll see why today's field log is called what it's called. Now, Psalms 143, verse 1, goes by David against Goliath. So this was, you know, David preparing to fight Goliath. Blessed is the Lord my God, 
who trains my hands for battle, my fingers for war. And the footnote in the back is Psalm 143 describes our war against Goliath the giant. Goliath was arrogant and vainglorious against the Lord in Israel. David slew him and cut off his head. This is a picture of our war against the powerful, sinful passions, especially arrogance and vainglory, the most destructive of sins. This psalm sets forth arrogance and vainglory in their true light, for the arrogant and vainglorious man is become like vanity, his days like a passing shadow. Verse 4, and then of course it just keeps going on and talking about the different verses, and if you want to read the whole psalm, I definitely encourage it. If the copy of the Bible you have is not the Orthodox copy, the numbering will be different, right? The Psalms are numbered slightly differently. I think for you it might be Psalms 144 or 142, but you'll find it. Just look. Now, I'm sure you can see, based on footnotes and based on the verse itself, why I found this interesting and why I want to talk about it today, right? I talk a lot about this idea of, of strength, of fighting, but we also talk about the dangers of arrogance and, of course, vainglory is very similar to arrogance. But the verse, Blessed is, is the Lord my God, who trains my hands for battle, my fingers for war. Of course, is talking about preparing us for the, the spiritual battle and the spiritual war. And we'll talk about that a little bit, but and then I want to, of course, expand the scope and see if there's something interesting that we can learn sort of on a general level, beyond just the spiritual implication. Maybe there's a practical implication for us here. But first, the spiritual meaning of this verse. And of course, as usual, I'm not a priest. I'm not a theologian. Please, if I say anything that sounds suspicious, check with your spiritual father, read the disclaimer in the footnotes, all of that good stuff. But the Lord prepares us for the spiritual battle. And I don't think any of us at this point can be mistaken and pretend that there is no such thing as a spiritual battle. Right, we fight these battles constantly. I talk about this all the time, the idea that living the warrior king life and building wealth and building power and building influence and, and developing your relationships and your ability to build rapport and a lot of things that the world will praise you for, that that, it's dangerous. Right, you've heard me say this many, many times. You'll hear me say it many more times. It's dangerous what we do because the temptation towards arrogance, thinking that you're better than people. It's very real. Now, this is true with anything that you master, right? It's true in the spiritual life too. And I've mentioned this before. That's why you have examples of saints who will, as they become holier, humble themselves more, right? Say things to themselves that to us seem very destructive, right? There's that story of that very holy man that I've, I've told before, and I don't remember where I heard the story, but you know, you hear these kinds of stories floating around. Exceptionally holy man, very humble, very faithful, who would walk around the city just mumbling to himself, just awful things, you know, like you stupid old man, you 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 lazy old man, and those kinds of things. And you know, people were thinking, like, why is he saying that about himself? That's awful. Well, the reality was that he was so holy, so perfect that the only way he could keep himself from becoming arrogant is to genuinely counteract his high achievement in the spiritual life with things that would seem harmful to us. Right? And if we take another example to try to illustrate this point, if you're a man who's, let's say, very wealthy, and you want to make sure that you don't become 
greedy and, and, and arrogant, right, about your wealth, you would do things like maybe sleep on the floor sometimes. And I talk about this all the time, and I promise that episode is coming eventually. But someone who's very poor, for example, doesn't have to sleep on the floor to keep himself humble because his whole life is humbling. But someone who's very wealthy and very successful maybe might have to do something that extreme to remind himself, right? And there's that story of Seneca. I think it was Seneca, one of the Stoics. I think it was Seneca. Who once a month would wear rags, sleep on the floor, drink rainwater and eat rice and beans. Just to remind himself that even though my life is very cushy, very comfortable, I'm trying to keep myself humble and try to remind myself that I don't need the wealth. If Seneca was a very poor man, you know, maybe living like Diogenes, the very famous cynic philosopher who slept in a box and, you know, didn't have any material possessions. He doesn't have to sleep on the floor willingly because his life is humbling for him. All of that being said, when you acquire greater power of some sort, you know, be it spiritual or financial or, or anything along those lines, you often have to counteract that more aggressively to make sure that your character isn't corrupted. And I think. I think that that's what this verse is really talking about. And based on the footnotes, I think that's a relatively accurate interpretation. That we fight a battle, a spiritual battle against arrogance and vainglory, right? The, the story of David and Goliath has a metaphysical aspect to it. And of course, most of the scriptures do. That being said, I personally am the kind of person who, who of course, interprets the scriptures a bit more literally. And I do believe that there was, of course, a literal David and a literal Goliath but that their fight is sort of symbolically also representing our fight against arrogance and vainglory. How fitting that is for us men living the warrior king life. Right? The Lord prepares my hands for battle. The Lord prepares our hands for battle. He gives us certain qualities. He says, I'm going to make you more prone to discipline, more prone to hard work. I'm going to give you abilities to acquire a certain influence in the world and material wealth and everything because I think that you'll use it for the good of the world. And that's what I believe, right? That's the philosophy that the whole Warrior King ethos is based on. But because we're placed in that situation, I think that God also prepares us for battling our arrogance or potential arrogance and our narcissism and our conceit and our ego, all of these things that, first of all, are poison to the soul, Right, death to our spiritual goals, but also make us less effective at carrying out our purpose and our duties. So I think that God does that for us. And if you think about what is it that specifically, practically speaking, God provides for us to help us in that battle, this is also going to sound very familiar. I think it's asceticism. I think the, the church prescribed disciplines like the fast. We just finished Lent, right? I just had a steak for the first time in probably two months, and it was great, I'll tell you that. But those kinds of things keep, keep reminding you that, you know, what I really want to do right now is I want to eat animal protein four times a day because it's the best thing for my strength and my physique. And God in his wisdom says, no, 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 no. You don't really need to focus on that all the time. Sometimes you need to do things that are not perfect, not great for your health and not great for, you know, physical health at least, and not great for your performance in the weight room and those kinds of things to remind you what ultimately matters. 
that all of these things are just tools. And of course, I can tell you from experience, I've gone through three Lenten fasts now. And you'll be fine. You're not going to lose all of your gains. It's not going to happen. But God gives us this toolkit of asceticism. That's our weapons in this, in this fight. Those are our weapons in this fight. Right? God arms us in the spiritual warfare with fasting, with increased prayer, with the ability to repent, with the sacraments, right? Confession, the Eucharist, and then, of course, the sacraments that you have once, like baptism and chrismation and maybe things like holy orders and, and marriage and those sorts of things. But those are the tools that God gives us. He gives us the lives of the saints, right? Hagiographies is what that's called. In Greek, hagios means holy or saint, right? Like Hagia Sophia means holy wisdom. That's uh, the very famous church in modern day Turkey, which has been converted into a mosque. God forgive them. Hagiography, hagiography, um, like a biography, a writing about saints. So we have the hagiography so we can read about what is it that the saints did? How can a man be this holy? How can a woman be this holy and be this humble? Right? We have the scriptures for the same reason, right? I say this all the time. Who was the greatest human being to ever walk the face of the earth? The most holy human being to ever walk the face of the earth? It was the Theotokos. It was the mother of God. It was the Blessed Virgin Mary. She was the greatest human being to ever walk the face of the earth because she fully submitted herself to God's will, right? When the Archangel Gabriel came to her and told her that, that she would conceive and carry the Lord himself in her womb, right? Con carry, contain the uncontainable. She said, let it be done as the Lord commands, something along those lines is probably a slight paraphrasing. But in her exceptional holiness, right in the prayers, we say she's the only pure, only blameless one. In her exceptional holiness, she showed exceptional humility. And I think that's, that's sort of the takeaway, one of the big takeaways for us today, that as the Lord prepares our hands for the spiritual battle, we have to increase in humility and submission to God so that we can become who we're meant to be, right? The, the Lord called the Theotokos. He called Mary and she responded to the call. And that's ultimately what it is that we're all doing here. Now, that being said, I do want to take a couple of minutes and talk about maybe another practical interpretation or implication, perhaps, of this verse. That whatever it is that you're struggling with, and, you know, it could be spiritual, and it's meant primarily spiritually, but it could be something else too. Like maybe you're struggling with bad sleep. I've been having this problem a lot recently. You know, last night I slept about four hours, and it's, you know, really, really frustrating to me that my sleep isn't good. And maybe you're struggling with, I don't know, lack of appetite, or maybe you're eating too much, or maybe you're struggling with getting your work done and staying disciplined. You have to understand that if God wants you to do something particular, if he's calling you to do something, he has prepared you for that fight. And if you're not succeeding, then maybe you're not relying on him as much as you should. And that's very much something that I need to hear today. It's to remind myself that if I'm not sleeping well and it's having an impact on my ability to do my job effectively, in what ways am I ignoring the tools God's giving me, right? I have a lot of flexibility in my schedule, right? I do work a lot, yes, and I'm sure most of you do as well. But that being said, I have the ability to go to bed whenever I want. So if I'm in bed at 11.30 or 12 when I'm meant to be in bed at 9.30 or 10, what tools that God gave me am I ignoring 
in what ways am I coming short of and not utilizing that which God gave me to get the job done? In this case, sleep. I know it's a silly example, but it gets the point across. God has prepared you for whatever fight you're struggling with. If you're struggling with lust, as a lot of young men do, right? I, I know what that's like. If you're struggling with greed, if you're struggling with lust for power, we had an episode on that recently. If you're struggling with judgmental thoughts, right? This one is terrible for me. I, I get this all the time. It's where I'm looking at a man and I'm judging him, you know? And it makes me feel awful. Like, you know, who am I to judge my brother, right? St. Ephraim tells us, teaches us to pray to not judge our brother. So you can identify all of these qualities in yourself and I identify all of these qualities in myself. And then sometimes you feel helpless. You feel despair, but that's what the devil wants. God knows that, what is it? Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, I think. And someone fact check that, please. I think it's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, where it reads, Trust in the Lord your God and lean not on your own understanding. So, if there's a battle that you're struggling with, trust God that whatever that struggle is, it's for your own good. And I recently saw this video that was absolutely beautiful talking about this idea. And someone was reading a writing by, I think it was St. Pisios. And I'll link the video in the show notes and you can check that out. It was about 17 minutes where he tells a story of a, of a young monk who prayed to God that God would take his passions away. Right? You know, God, please take away my passions from me, you know, my anger, my lust, and whatever else you might have had. And God actually granted his prayer. He said, okay, I will take your passions away. And the monk, of course, was ecstatic. Went to one of his elders, one of his holy fathers in the, in the monastery, I imagine, and said, Father, you're never going to believe this. I prayed to God, and he took my passions away. <laughs> and the, the older monk, the father said, well, you better pray to God to give you those passions back. Monk was confused. What do you, what do you mean? Why should I? Isn't that the point? Why should, like, he's taken my passions away. Shouldn't I be happy about that? Well, the older monk says, if you don't struggle with your passions, how will you ever grow spiritually? Isn't that incredible? If God makes your life easy, if God takes away your struggles, if God takes away your passions, if God doesn't give you battles, how will you ever grow? We talk about this all the time. The only reason you're here on this earth is to become the man you're supposed to be, to acquire holiness, virtue, right? And of course, help people in the process if you can. But the way you do that is by struggling, right? It's foolishness, the saints tell us. To think that you can live the Christian life without struggling daily, suffering daily. So think about that for a second, huh? That God will give you battles. If you pray to God and say, God, make me the man you want me to be. The man I'm supposed to be. God will say, are you sure? And when you say yes, he'll say, okay, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to allow struggle and war and battles to come into your life. But also, I will prepare your hands for that battle. That's what's going to happen to you. That's what your mission is, should you choose to accept it. If you choose to accept 
this calling that God has given you to live the warrior king life, to be an asset to the people around you, to provide and protect, to take care of your wife and your children, your parents, your brothers in the church, your biological brothers and sisters, your church community, to be there for people when they need you, right? I just had a friend reach out to me yesterday, sent a message to me and another close friend. There's the three of us have a little group chat. And he said, would you guys be free on this particular weekend to help me and my wife move to the city that we're moving to? It's a couple of hours away, maybe like an hour and a half. And of course, this is the kind of thing that I would drop things for and show up for my friend. But I already have plans to travel and visit some of my friends in another city that exact day. So I told him, if you're comfortable with it, I'll get you guys some professional movers. So all of the ways that God has been preparing me in my life and recently, and I'm sure the same is true for you, are just there to help us take care of the people that we love, take care of the people in our community. If you want that, if you want to live up to that, God is going to make you struggle, but he's not going to make you do it alone. He will prepare your hands for battle and your fingers for war. So today, remember, remind yourself, keep this in the front of your mind today, that you're at war. You're at war with arrogance. You're at war with vainglory. But you're also at war with all of your other character flaws, right? Your sloth, if you have it, your greed, your lust, your judgment of your brother. You're at war with these things. You're at war with the evil one who's constantly trying to drag you down. But God is on your side. And as we know from the scriptures, if God is with us, who can be against us? So remember that today. Take heart. I think that's an expression, right? Take heart. That whatever happens, whatever struggles you're faced with, that God is with you. And if you continue to remember that, if you have the remembrance of God, and if I have the remembrance of God, if we have that, we'll win the war. It's guaranteed. So remember that today. Get ready. Put on your spiritual armor. Get out there. And do what you have to do. That's it for this week's Field Log. If you like what you heard today, you can follow this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on right now. You can also rate the show. That always helps out a lot. You can find me on Instagram, threads, and TikTok at marcian.cx for field log snippets, art, philosophy, and training-related content. You can also visit the website at marcian.cx for much more of the same. I'm still working on consolidating the Warrior King content into the marcian.cx project. So check back at the website soon for the new and improved Warrior King training protocol, which is going to include supersets and my updated supplement recommendations. There's also a 2024 goal-setting guide on the way, and of course, the Warrior King newsletter. If any of that sounds appealing to you, the links to everything are in the show notes below. It's all free, and as always, conquer the day.